Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of DevOps Unbound. DevOps, Un De DevOps Unbound is a every other week video show where we spend about 40 or 45 minutes talking about relevant topics in DevOps. DevOps Unbound is sponsored by our good friends at Tricentis and has been since day one. And we're very thankful to Tricentis for uh, their sponsorship and uh, help with the show. More than just you know saying they're a sponsor or writing a check, Tricentis is intimately involved with us in helping us pick our topics, finding guests, and just keeping the show on track because it's not an easy thing. So many thanks to Leonir Norval and the rest of the Tricentis gang for helping us. Um, this week's show is a great show. It's all about feature flags. We're going to jump into feature flags in a second. But first, I want to introduce you to this great panel. Starting us off as a frequent guest here on DevOps Unbound. We love having him on. He always has great, great insights and things to say. It's our friend Brian Dawson. Brian, welcome. Thank I you for having guy. me again. Mm -hmm. Brian, why don't you give people a little bit of your background, if you don't mind? Yeah, I, you know, a bit about my background is I, I I started my my you know journey as a developer, actually creating console games. It was what we now know as PlayStation, which which I'll talk a bit about later. But that really triggered. That was my first experience with what you would call kind of the the rudimentary days of sort of feature flags, pragmas, etc. I eventually went on to the company that founded Subversion and there got an opportunity to go out to a number of clients and help them implement continuous integration, continuous delivery, and uh, and more modern more modern practices. And then uh, and then today I work with a with a bevy of great partners in the blockchain space at a company called Ripple. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. Next up is a first timer on DevOps Unbound, but she's she works with a company that's not new to us here at TechStrong. One, actually, they were the second sponsor of DevOps.com in 2013, 2014. And that's CloudBees. And this is Hope Lynch from CloudBees. Welcome, Hope. Thank you. I, as you said, I'm at CloudBees. Long career in technology. I, I often tell people if if there's a job you've done in technology from uh, pulling wire, working on servers, coding, pretty much everything. I've touched it at one time or another. Um, spent some time at Cisco, spent some time at Red Hat. My most recent role before coming to CloudBees, and at CloudBees, I am in uh, product marketing. Uh, but before that, which is why I was so interested in this conversation, I was a product manager for an IoT platform. So microservices, feature flagging uh, was a pretty critical part of how we were getting our jobs done. Absolutely. And of course, the whole DevOps of things, if you will, you know, bringing DevOps sort of ways of looking at things like feature flags to IoT devices is, is such a big uh, it's a it's a new frontier we're going to be exploring. I'm actually in the middle of writing something up about DevOps World coming up later this month, and you know the theme there is DevOps Remix, and and we're also doing another show the month after called DevOps Experience and DevOps of Things and and this whole DevOps everywhere, 
And they, these two ideas run in together where we're seeing DevOps go where no DevOps has gone before, right? And, and into IoT, into the edge. And feature flex, of course, plays a, a big role in that. Testing plays a big role in that. It's going to really going to change a lot of patterns that we've developed. Anyway, thanks, Hope, for joining. And let me introduce you now to our third panel member today. He's also been on uh, DevOps Unbound. Before you may recognize the handsome beard and mustache, it's our friend Adam Kelsey. Hey, Adam, welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, so a little bit about myself. I started as a developer in my career way back in the dark ages before cookies existed in uh, in browsers. Um, and I uh, currently lead uh, some of our product management organization at uh, Tricentis. I've been building products exclusively for developers for about 15 years now. And Thanks, and man. Alan, you missed an opportunity to coin a term. You should have called it thing ops. You know what? It's not too late. Let me see if, <laughs> if Mitchell, check out of thingops.com. I've already, I just registered. I got okay. it. Got it. <laughs> That's, that's going to be really popular with IoT crowd, I'll just tell I you. I bet, that. I bet. But you know, Adam, in a, in a case of what's old is new again, if Google has their way, we might be, be doing away with cookies, right? And, and uh, yeah, so, it, you know, we'll see what happens with cookies. So let me, and then bringing up, certainly last but not, certainly not least, is my co-host for DevOps and Baron, as well as one of my partners here at TechStrong Group. My longtime friend Mitchell Ashley. Hey, Mitch, welcome. Good to be here, Alan. Uh, great panel. I'm I, I'm not going to tell you when I started developing and what wasn't around back then. That's a whole nother day. But I'm excited today because it's Flag Day on and DevOps Unbound Flag Day. Talking about feature yeah. flags. So let's get right. right into it. All right. There were there were punch cards involved though, right, Mitch? <laughs> uh, <laughs> at least one deck of them. Yes. Yeah. I remember these. <laughs> anyway, um, guys, we're here to talk about feature flags today, and it's going to be a great conversation. You know, our audience, I, I pride myself that our tech strong audience is rather sophisticated from a DevOps point of view. We are DevOps.com, you know, and technology in general. But there might be people who are watching out here who say, I think I know what a feature flag is. What does that have to do with cookies? Right. Um, they're not 100% sure. So who wants to tackle? You know what, Hope, I'm afraid we're going to call on you to lead it off if you don't mind. Why don't you kind of baseline for the audience? What what are we talking about here with feature flags? Right. Um, I will say it in this way. So if you are deploying software and you don't want to make a big bang deployment, or you don't want to, let's say, test everything in production on everyone at the same time. If you use feature flags, you can target your deployment. You can have a very small test group. So if you want to test with, uh, let's say, an affinity group that knows they want to be your beta customers every time, you can roll out to them only, see how it performs, and if, it, if it's going well, roll it out more widely, maybe also in a targeted fashion. But if not, then you can have an easier way just to uh, turn those features off and, and make your improvements. So feature flags give you a lot of control on who can see what um, uh, as your end users. And, and you can also make their experience better by sometimes 
um, targeted uh, improvements, targeted enhancements, just going to certain users. And I would That's add, cool. if, if you've ever been forced to commit by your lead dev before your code was ready, <laughs> you you feature flag somehow. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. So let me let me let me play devil's advocate or shill in the audience. So what's the difference between feature flag and A A B testing? Oh. I'm going to jump in on that one here with you. I think one of the big differences is you don't have to deploy code with feature flags. It's already out there, just enabling and disabling what's there. So uh, you might still deploy code for future features or whatever, but that's one of the big advantages is just turning things off and on without deploying any code. Yeah, I, I agree. That, that, that's certainly it. You know, we we look at, or maybe it's me, when I look at feature flags, I look at it from sort of what is the end user experience, right? And then user experience can have an A or a B or a C or, you know, a multitude of different experiences, depending on what flags are turned on or off. But I think another way of looking at this is what's the view from the other side of the dashboard? What's the view from the development side or the op side or the testing side even? And, and how do we interpret you know, what we see with feature flags and then how does that influence what we're doing? Adam, you wanna yeah. maybe take us down that rabbit hole? Yeah, one of the things that uh, that happens a lot of times as you're, as you're implementing feature flags, you're, uh, you, you push something out and, and you run your tests and find out that, uh, oh, I, I only tested one of the paths um, if the feature flags and it, and it starts to get even messier when you get dozens of flags, hundreds of flags, thousands of flags, um, and how do you how do you test all of those um, and uh, and ensure that you're actually testing all the different configurations and all the different possibilities um, and uh, and it's a mess, especially as you start having flags that are should be retired. They've been there too long. They're no longer used. You know, do do I even toggle this flag on um, to run my test because this thing's been around too long now. Um, and uh, and nobody's flipped it on or off. So so I mean you need need good feature flag management. You need a good understanding of what all the flags are, what they do, what should be uh, in in different scenarios, and what aren't. And without a good map of that, um, it's impossible to set your flags correctly. Whether you're talking about production usage or testing or or anything else. And, and Adam, if I if I could add, I'm glad you brought up um, QA and also proper management, right? Because pop properly created, configured and manage when we talk about the value to QA, um, you know, there's there's a number of things. One thing, for instance, I've run into a lot as Agile and DevOps and, and you know, two-week sprints really started to take hold is that a QA often has a hard time keeping up, right? Um, so one of the things using QA as an example, you know, that you're able to do is you're able to deploy the features that you have the ability to test. And then, you know, you can, you can toggle test, toggle off for production test, then toggle in production, which speaks to an overall value of feature flags. There's a similar benefit to the people that are responsible um, for deployment. You don't necessarily have to wait 
um, for a feature to be fully tested, right? You can deploy the package and then the team can turn on features as they feel they're ready to be rolled out to production, either to, to a whole group or as Hope mentioned, um, progressively to other groups. So I like to say there's, there's um, um, feature flags enable continuous everything for everybody in the SDLC. Yeah, we're I, not enough. to build in a big bang deployment. Sorry, Adam. yeah, I I've long said that uh, that you can't have a continuous delivery uh, unless you have the three legged stool of continuous testing, feature flagging, and observability. You have yeah. to know that what you put out there is working. You have to be able to control what people see, and you have to be able to test it all. and And you have to do that all in both production and in lower environments. You know, we used to use I test in production as a as a pejorative. Um, and now it's it's a way of life. But the thing is, is you can't test only in production and, and right. you have to test everything. I mean, you have to test to make sure your feature flags are working. Did you actually right. toggle off the thing you thought you were toggling off? Right. And I think going back to, though, the point around A-B testing, um, A-B often is, uh, for some organizations, a trial balloon. We're going to change something. We're going to change something relatively small. Who does it resonate with? At that point, often, you don't really need the QA team involved. They're not going to do integration testing or end-to-end testing on something like that. But then when you start to dive deeper and you say, we're choosing B, everyone rally around that and we're going to swarm and build, we're, we're going to build B and deliver that to a wider range of customers. That gives a lot of those QA teams enough runway to understand what's coming and, and hopefully prepare for it a little more so they're not left behind as much as they sometimes are. Yeah, there's there's two different ways that uh, that, that happens. I mean, you've got either um, A-B testing as I'm trying to decide which way I'm going to do, and in which case your QA probably should have tested both of them and make sure they both work. But also, um, you know, I increasingly see feature flagging and A-B testing and as, a, as a substitute for some testing. Hey, let's, let's spin this out to two or three users and find out if anybody screams. Let's let our users be our QA. Um, you know, that that may be appropriate in some things. It's probably not appropriate if you're testing, you know, nuclear missile alerts in, in Hawaii and you're probably uh, oh yeah. Let's not to tell that. everybody that you're that's <laughs> what that was. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. Um so let 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 us now jump into you know I feel like we've laid a good foundation here on feature flex. You know the 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 uh, title of today's show is Feature Flags and Microservices, Oil and Water. You know, we, we've seen Feature Flags obviously become sort of mainstream DevOps. I think we haven't said it, if, and if we haven't, I'll say it now. It's because it, it's, it directly relates to one of the fundamental DevOps principles, which is feedback loops, Right. Can't think of a better example of feedback loops than feature flags, actually. Now, but the world's changed since we first, you know, read the Phoenix Project uh, almost ten years ago now, right? And um, cloud native microservices has burst on the scene. We are seeing these monolithic applications being deconstructed and and re deployed as a stream of microservices that coordinate and work together. There are some people who say, yeah, microservices doesn't work so good with feature flags. 
Well, if you believe they do, let's hear why. Or you believe they do not, let's hear why not. What's the problem? If you believe they do, let's hear why. Um, yeah. I'll throw it open to any of you to kick it off, and, and I'm, I'm so, interested in everyone's opinion. I think it's important, Alan, that um, that we kind of subdivide the space. And as you said earlier, I want to kind of underscore um, we, we've talked a lot about user-facing feature flags or feature-flagging user-facing features, right? But let's also keep in mind that that um, we can feature-flag back-end and we can feature-flag feature back-end at almost any level of granularity. So I'd say on one side of that argument, when we say microservices doesn't work with feature-flags, well... Not necessarily. If I run a microservice, I can feature flag out components or functionality within that microservice as long as I ensure I'm preserving my interface contract um, with the people that are consuming my service, right? But then now when you start to talk about what I'll call system level feature flags, right, which are usually, those could still be back end, but I'm going to grossly say that those are your user facing feature flags. Now, what happens with microservices, of course, is you can have 5, 10, 15, 50 different uh, microservices, many of those run and developed by different teams that all roll up to represent a user flow or a user-facing feature, right? So now we get into, we've broken into these individual teams to enable autonomy and velocity, but wait a sec, how do we establish that there's a feature flag that we want to set to turn on or off a system feature across 50 microservices, right? So now you do kind of get a tension. Because to feature flag out that user-facing feature across those 50 microservices, now you break some of that autonomy or atomic benefit of microservices. So I lay all that out to kind of set the stage and say, well, I I know we have solutions and counters. There is is some real validity to the perception that feature flags and microservices are oil and water. Yeah. And I, I believe that... You know, uh, pretend there are two of me. I'm an A-B test right now. (laughs) So I believe that microservices can work with feature flags if you are using it to validate changes in microservices. So if you have so many that it is hard for the team to manage, and and I've been with teams, that have had challenges just managing uh, that distribution. If you set it up so internally, um, it can validate changes to individual microservices in your production environment, fantastic. The con for me is one of the things that microservices was supposed to get us away from was uh, all of the deep coupling that that we've seen um, and the additional complexity. So this is taking us back sort of in the direction of story service-oriented architecture. Um, may work for some, may not work for others. Yeah. I, I, I'd question the entire premise that uh, that anyone thinks that these things shouldn't be work, used together. Um, I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a developer who has implemented microservices at any sort of scale um, who thinks that, uh, that feature flagging um, or, or some way of controlling deployments, uh, you know, is... is Brian pointed out, you, you, you've got the uh, the contract changed. How do you ensure that the, the the clients are in sync? And that that's part of that that decoupling of the of the tight coupling 
Um, if if I have to deploy all of the the clients or all the dependent services every time I make a change, it's uh, it's a mess. And I'm going to sound like a, an advertisement for feature flag management companies here. But um, if you don't have a good way of managing your feature flags, if you've built some homegrown system where you know it worked for for ten or twelve or hundred flags, once you start getting into these complex webs of there's 16 downstream dependencies and all the flags need to be toggled at the same time and in the right order um, for that to happen. That's, that's going to be a mess. And then, you know, again, sounding like an ad for the, the company I work for, um, you know, testing those and, and having good contract tests and knowing that, uh, that the different systems are able to, to uh, use the right API contracts and that they're getting the ones that they thought they got um, when you do change those, those flags um, is, is crucial. Um, otherwise you're going to have, downstream problems and, and unexplained stability and, and very, very, very hard to debug things. You know, Alan, I, I remember there were maybe a handful of articles making that argument, right? That's been a few years back, maybe three or five or something like that. And, and to me, it's, it's run amok, run uncontrolled. Feature flags could bring chaos to any environment, just like, you know, duplicative microservices and, you know, subdividing things too far, going too far with it. You know, a big advantage can be our worst enemy. I think that the thing, and I'm not making the premise that they aren't made for microservices. Of course, you can use them in microservices or not, right? Uh, but I think what it does is add another layer of complexity to it. And what you were saying, Adam, about you have to manage that across the team, not just within a team, right? You could have people implementing duplicate feature flags, right? Just imagine the folks in an, in an ops environment, whether it's dev or SRE or an ops person, you know, with hopefully an observability or platform trying to put all this together, right? What versions of what code were we running when? Um, what was serverless if that was maybe in the mix? And what were the feature flags that were set at that time? Did anybody log it or, or have some way to track all that? So it does add another layer of complexity. So I think you've got to be, you know, apply good engineering, but also kind of product engineering, product management across the team to uh, bring a little bit of discipline to it. So it just doesn't become yeah. insanity, right? And I, and I think, you know, also there's a bit of kind of um, human interaction. I think, you know, you've probably heard me, Mitch, we've done a few of these saying at the end of the day, humans are endpoints of code, right? They're where it's created, they're where it lands. And what does happen as you coordinate feature flags across these multiple services, at the end of the day, you need to enable teams to coordinate, right? You think about the scenario where maybe I have a feature flag where I've, 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 um, you know, we're trying to take a piece out of the system. I flag something out that within my microservices turns off a subfunction effectively to put it generically. Now I call into that interface contract is the same, but I'm getting a null value for one of my variables, one of my, you know, and, and all of a sudden my service dies. I don't know why. Um, so again, this is where you have to have um, systems and processes to coordinate those flags. You have to have people working together. Um, and, and then I'll get to what we haven't talked about, I think, for the audience. Here's where interfaces start to become important. If I recall Martin Fowler's initial blog about, about what has now become feature flags and ultimately feature management, I believe he did talk to having to manage that at code level at scale, right? Um and I think it's implied and most of our audience probably gets it, but let's call out that when we talk about enterprise feature management and enterprise feature management across microservices, a UI and UX to check, control, and toggle those flags um, is critical, right? But it's not inherent in the definition, 
But then again, when we go to enterprise feature management, one thing that you should think about here is um, not only a dashboard to turn them on and off, but a dashboard that provides a shared view and, and leads to a shared understanding of what's on, what's off, what's flagged, et cetera. Well, you know, I think that goes, to, I'm sorry, go ahead, Adam. It, it's not just useful in this, so it, it's crucial in, in order to, if I'm going to change an API contract and I'm going to to break things down the road, if I can, can uh, run two versions of that, that API so that uh, somebody can, can then run against either one and provide a deprecation in order right. for them to effectively roll this out and, and manage this across the enterprise, you have to do it through through feature flagging. The, the upstream teams need to be able to not do these big bang things. And whether it's a feature flag through literally implemented in code or whether they're treating their deployments as a feature flag. Um, you know, Hope, do you have a lot of people using feature flags to, to kind of manage deprecation of things? Have you seen that very much at CloudBees? Um, at CloudBees, I'm a, I'm a little more removed from the day-to-day, um, but I think there are a few. In previous organizations, I think it was something that was always a goal, but was hard for the teams that I was working with to do well, right? Um, it was more of um, a manual task for some of them, um, but I think partly because feature flags for them at that time were a lot newer and they were more focused on the implementation. How do we clean up all of these flags that we see out here? Um, but it did definitely help. Um, it did help with, with branching, right? So once you have the flag turned off, we don't have, have all of these long lived feature branches. That part was more automated, but, um, but not so much with, um, other deprecation. Yeah. Well, Brian called it enterprise feature management. That that idea of not just what one of the great things if you're if you're using an enterprise feature system and it's across the entire enterprise is I can go look and see does anyone still have this feature implemented? Is yes. is this code path now dead? And so yes. where where I might be able to look in my microservice and go oh nobody's hitting the microservice it's it's safe to turn off this version. Is it though? Is this a microservice that somebody hits once every six months? And mm-hmm. yeah, I turn it off, but it breaks. But if I can go look at a source of truth and say, hey, everybody has moved their feature flags onto the new version. Now it's safe to actually do that deprecation. That's huge. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and looking at which flags are off, which, which flags um, have basically been removed, you know, that generally is saying we have accepted this. This is our path to production now. Um, that has been useful for a lot of teams because it's already somewhat confusing for some, depending on how they've implemented their feature flag management. That I think is always a, 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 a source of conversation in most organizations. But if they have um, their continuous integration, continuous delivery paths mostly worked through and they have integrated Uh, feature flagging into that. And every team has understood um, this is part of our way of working. I I think it speeds everyone up. It's it's a great practice. And I know, I know Alan needs to shift our subject, but I want to jump in real quick to underscore because Alan asked earlier, 
how do feature flags affect the experience for people that are upstream? And I think you, you, you and Adam hit on a key thing. Ultimately, while it's some extra work to coordinate, it can simplify your code. It can make your code less brittle. It can reduce branching. It can make your code less complex. It can free you from having to, to manage deprecated code um, um, to the same level. Absolutely. But, you know, I think one of the things we've skirted around, but we really haven't hit head on, and, and I think it directly relates to the whole microservices thing, is the issue of scale, right? When we talk about feature flags, you know, th this is not just, a, a, is the background red or blue? Is my button rounded corner or square corner? You know, like interface kinds of things like that. But the the behind the code, the, the UI, UX, I mean, the, the, the sheer scale of feature flags. At some level, feature flags as it relates to microservices has almost been a victim of its own success. In that once we start using them and we and we see the, the good, <laughs> right? We got that feedback. We see what we can do with more, it. More, more, more. You know, <laughs> button down the hatches, man. We just keep adding more and more feature flags. I, I've seen, you know, we've done a series in the past videos with, with some of the feature flag companies and, you know, the amount, the sheer number of feature flags being deployed is literally in the billions at this point, right? On, I think that's on a very the, regular basis. We've met the enemy and they are us, right? They're yeah. And now, so, so when you take that kind of scale and then it bumps into microservices, which is trying to, you know, scaling microservices is yet another issue. We could probably do another DevOps Unbound on, right? It really kind of is oil and watery a little bit, right? It really does. You know, how? And look, the easy answer is, well, you got to use a feature flag program for this because the scale <laughs> is just, you know, Yes, you have to use a feature flag program. That's a that's a no-brainer. But what does that feature flag program have to have that really allows you to, to work at that scale in microservices kind of architecture uh, environments and still be able to make the testers happy and the developers happy and the security folks happy, as well as the end users? It, right. it, it has to have knowledge. It has to have knowledge of everything that's out there and be able to expose that. It, it, once you have tens of thousands of flags, where are they being used? Who's using them? How often are they being used? What code paths are active? Which ones are not? Which ones should we be retiring? And, and that's where building your own seems kind of nuts. I mean, look, you can build your own, um, you, you, but you, know, you can build your own credit card processing system too. But unless that's your core business, you know, go, go use something from someone else. Um, you know whether it's it's Cloudbees or, or one of their fine competitors. Um, you know it, it's uh, it's scale with microservices. Knowing what things are being used and where is just crazy, crazy important. I would add to that, Adam, and it's also what are they for? What is this? What is this feature flag for? And do we all use it the same way? There, there's also a school of thought of treat um, feature flags as having a life cycle. Right, because they may be introduced for some internal testing. I think you give that that example, Adam. 
Um, but it could be for beta features that are being used by certain users in the market. We could, you know, flip the flag and be in on release day the next day. It could be for duplicate. You could actually have duplicate code, right, with variations of it um, using feature flags to turn on or manage which ones are turned on in what scenario. But I think you want to avoid the problem of, you know, some feature flags are meant to stay around, but not all feature flags, right? They, they do need to have an end of life. Um, if they were for a, a specific purpose like that. So, but but that's that sort of life cycle management, treated as a pro prod or a product or part of the product. Um, so I think that's part of what you're talking about, Adam. It's knowing what's there, but also why is it there and what's it doing and how are we going to use it today, tomorrow, and then maybe stop using it if we do. I think, and if I may, um, Mitch, I, I think uh, you call out a key thing when you talk about change. So, so, Alan, before we get to kind of what does the solution need, um, you know, hit a couple of things. Look, you, 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 you oftentimes feature flag uses grows from bottom up. I think now we're starting to see it come in from sort of top level engineering practices down or product. Um, I think in either of those similar a DevOps transition, you get a point where you need to have a thoughtful, deliberate rollout. Right. So you need to have change management. You need to have communication. You need to have alignment around the philosophy of why we use it. What do we flag? Um, and then to your point, uh, Mitch, a life cycle, a couple of things I'd like to call out hope before I hand it right over to you is going to be when we talk about what ideally do you need to see in a feat in an enterprise feature management solution? Well, we need, you know, we need um, language support, right? We need language, we, we need stubs ideally that allow us to easily integrate those feature flags across possibly the multiple languages or across our tech stack, right? Ideally you would have those stubs be able to grab some of that intelligence that could then be rendered um, that, that Adam would call out. Right. You need a, um, a, a rich, you know, um, um, easy to use uh, user interface that hopefully can either extract or enable you to tag some additional context around those feature flags, so on and so on. But uh, but hope I'll stop there because I realized you were you were jumping in. Oh, that's OK. That's OK. Um, one of the other things that I think is really important that is sometimes overlooked when talking about. Uh, feature flagging, and especially if it's a homegrown solution, is uh, what is your governance model? How are you addressing security? How are you addressing uh, role-based access? How are you uh, auditing to understand what changes were made? That's something that's relatively simpler to do if you have a small team. But if you're talking about dozens and dozens of microservices and thousands of feature flags across a large enterprise without having some mechanisms in place to manage those things. You can quickly lose control of, of what's happening and, and, and how uh, your processes are rolling. Yeah, I, I remember the first time that uh, we started talking about feature flagging and somebody was saying, well, we should look at some of these vendors that are out there that are doing this. I, I said, that's insane. Why do I need to outsource my if statement? And then uh, and, and then we ended up with a few dozen of these across a few dozen different microservices. And I went, oh, that's why I need to. <laughs> it's not outsourcing my if statement. It's outsourcing all of the decision-making and understanding that, that's behind that if statement. Right. right. Or providing yeah, infrastructure for the decision-making around that, that if statement. That's a good one, though. Outsource my if statement. <laughs> I like it. Too. 
But guys, let me, you know, we, we're, we're more almost done here. There's a couple of things I want to make sure we, we hit for our audience. And, you know, when we talk about scale and feature flags is a scale issue today, right? If you're using feature flags, you're probably using them at some scale, best practices. This, you know, a spreadsheet isn't the option, Adam, to your point about homegrown. I can't imagine people using feature flags and microservices and these things and trying to track this stuff like in a spreadsheet. You've got to be using, and there are, there are some fine feature flag management solutions out there. CloudBees has one, of course, as Hope mentioned, but there, there are others too. I'm not here to endorse one over the other. I'm just saying use one, right? You can't be serious about using feature flags without a feature flag management program. You can't be serious about using feature flags in a microservices or architecture, architecture-based application without having some feature flag management product that really integrates in your, your development team, your QA, as I mentioned before, security folks, all of that. Now, that all being said, what is the, what the, you know, have we, has feature flags matured to the point where we see sort of a best practices, right? And if so, what are some of these best practices beyond using a real program to manage them anybody i i feel that one future best practice let's say um there are a lot of organizations who are seeing future flags aligned to features absolutely because it's called future flags right but understanding how that is tied to your business and what your business wants and your business outcomes is also really important because focusing at, at too low of a level may not let you tie back to what your overall organization is actually trying to accomplish. And if there's a major change, um, being able to narrow down uh, which work is tied to those flags that affects that business outcome could be pretty critical uh, in the future versus someone going through, even with an application and having to pick through and make those associations. And, and, and I'll add two that I think are extensive of some comments earlier. I think w one is align around a what and why, similar to next step kind of down from the business objectives across these multiple, you know, uh, two pizza teams, microservices teams, however we used to describe them. Above that, there should be a, uh, we view feature flags as this, we use them in this case. You can even categorize or type them so you have an internal lexicon um, to talk about it. And then again, what a system or a solution won't necessarily take care of you alone is going to be, how do we communicate what we're doing across those, which will then get to my 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 my. Uh, my second best practice that I would recommend. And that's to do regular review, cross-functional, cross-team reviews of the feature flags that have been established, evaluating, you know, one, how they impact other systems. Two, um, are they still needed? Um, 
And uh, so two of those, those two practices can help better align on how do we establish and maintain them? And then how do we, how do we track and deprecate those uh, so that feature flags don't end up creating more technical debt than reducing tech debt? I'm, I'm going to disagree a little bit that I don't think feature flags are a solved problem. I don't think that this is, I don't think we know enough about the problem domain to have a lot of good best practices. And what is considered a best practice today may be a terrible practice once we start learning enough about it. And you know, we, we've got we've got feature flags used in so many different scenarios. There's there's phased rollouts, there's a that's part of A-B testing, it's part of uh you know, all sorts of different things. And Treating them all in one way, or or trying to to establish a practice for for feature flags, um, is probably going to narrow our thinking down enough that this is such a a relatively new thing that we don't really understand the the behaviors and the and the governance models and the uh, the human behaviors on the back end of this well enough to start saying these are the best ways to do things, and we should we should let teams explore and uh, and find their own best ways um, yeah. right now. That uh, that trying to to set any sort of a best practice maybe is kind of restrictive in the in the growth of this and in our understanding of how this stuff works. Fair. Yeah, I, I worry. I, I get the point, but I worry <laughs> that it could that 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 uh, that there's a uh, you need to strike a balance between freedom and exploration, and and to to Alan's point from earlier, just having people create feature flags, littering the code with feature flags, right? And uh, and I do so. Yeah, I think that's an important point, Alan. Uh, Adam, um, but I'd say that, but I'd call out to people, there has to be a balance, right? Um, just letting people run um, can create a ball of yarn that's high, hard to hard to unravel. Yeah, and I'm going to concur, and it brings to mind um, in some organizations where people say, we want to experiment, we want to innovate, right? Experimentation and innovation are processes and practices to mm. find a way to feed back what you've learned, how you've improved into the organization. Um, it's, it's not a free-for-all. And even with, I think, best practices, um, hearkening back to Agile, you look at something, you say, okay, here's the best practice in the industry today. Let's try it. We see these items don't work for us. We're not going to treat this as if it is, you know, something we can't deviate from. But everyone aligning around uh, a core and at least trying those things helps you find out to me faster what doesn't work in a way that you can feed that back out into the organization. Yeah, I just I just worry that we're going to end up like we have with Agile, where um, people go, well, Agile means Scrum and we're going to implement yeah. Scrum and, and we're, we're abusing developers um, with Scrum now, and ceremonies. And that, I agree. we're not going to get past that. <laughs> Uh, and that, that, that we're repeating that. Scrum. I don't want to repeat that same pattern with feature flags. I I I bristle at anything called the best practice, yeah. you know, partly for that reason. Yeah. No. I and I. You know, we've seen it with DevOps and Agile, right? No matter how time, how much you disclaim, look, these are general guidelines. Bring them in and implement them in a way that's fit for your organization. Yet, time and time again, for Agile and DevOps, people will come and give me, give me the canned food spam version of this, please. So I can go deploy a thousand times a week. And you're like, no, that's just not going to. Yeah. So I get you on that. Adam. Uh, yeah. I, but I'm, okay I'm going to add one thing and being wrong. I've, I've, I've been wrong at least once before. So, so it's okay with me <laughs> if it happens again. So I'll cap this off, Alan, this way is I don't think any of us want the dogma, right? I think that's what we want to avoid. 
Um, I actually I have a different thought. I think we need patterns, not best practices. Mm-hmm. Just think of how developers think of you know, singleton is this, et cetera. I think that's that's what we need for feature flags because there are great patterns for how people use this. It isn't just kill switches and functional features, switches, et cetera. There's more to how you use it. I think that would advance the state of the art the best. I don't think there's a book on that yet. Maybe <laughs> someone here wants to write it. Let's do it. Be careful what you ask for. Um, <laughs> hey, guys, this has been a fascinating conversation. I, I think it's obviously a topic that we can talk a lot more about, but we don't have time today. Um, so Hope, Adam, Brian, thanks for joining us on this uh, episode of DevOps Unbound. Thank you for watching. We hope you found this interesting and, and learning a little bit about feature flags. Um Thanks to Chisentis for sponsoring this. It's always, you know, they're a great partner to have on these. And, and I think you can see why listening to our conversations. Um, I invite you to watch the next DevOps Unbound, which I think is a live roundtable edition coming up. Um, and or depending when you watch this, it might be after, because I forget not everyone watches it the day it comes out. But you can catch future uh, episodes of DevOps Unbound. You'll also find them on techstrong.tv as well. Until then, though, this is Alan Schimmel for TechStrong, as well with Mitchell Ashley, and Adam Kelsey, Brian Dawson, and Hope Lynch. Thanks for watching DevOps Unbound.